Okay, you know, every, well, some messages need to come with a disclaimer. And so I have a question for you. How many of you have seen those products as seen on TV? Okay. And a lot of them come with that satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Well, I've got a different disclaimer for this morning. Um, it, it might sound pessimistic, but it's dissatisfaction guaranteed and you won't get your money back. Okay. On the message, because we're going to be talking about how God can empower us. And he does that through the power of the Holy spirit. So I'm talking about the Holy spirit this morning. And some of you are going to wish I talked more about one thing than I did about another. And you're going to think of things that you would have wanted said at a certain point. And okay, this handout has more in it than I'm going to talk about, but it also has the stuff I'm going to talk about in it, a lot of it. And so some of that's for you, but even this handout is, is not everything that, that could be said about the Holy Spirit this morning. And so I just want you to know that hopefully you'll all leave wanting more, and that'll cause you to dive into God's word yourself and ask some more questions. So this morning, that's the little disclaimer up front. And, you know, empower, that's a buzzword. It's been around a long time, but it's also a word that we use when we've done something difficult something we thought we maybe couldn't do or were wondering if we could do. And when we do it and we achieve it, we go, I never knew I could do that. I feel so empowered. I feel more capable. I feel more able. And one of the things that that, that can happen with that is having a baby. That's one of those empowering experiences that families have. And this last week I was in Starbucks and Ezra Stanton, who is, uh, who grew up here at Evergreen because his parents pastored here for over 15 years. He's 31 now and getting ready to have his second baby. And he stopped me and he said, you know, the second one's coming any day now, Ann. He said, but you know, the first one, you're all scared and you're overwhelmed and you wonder if you're going to be able to do it. And, and he says, you're not really, he says, secretly, you're not that excited. You're, you're kind of scared for the delivery, not necessarily looking forward to it. He said, but now that we've had one, this is number two. He said, I've got this covered. Let's get this show on the road. You know, and he said it kind of like that. You know, I, I'm cool with this. And the thing is, Kendra, his wife was not there when he said these words. Okay. <laughs> But I laughed because last night after sharing that, I went home and I went on Facebook and she had posted one week to go. Let's get this show on the road. (laughs) So I think he did have a pretty good handle on it. But what was he saying? He was saying we are empowered to have this baby because we've had this experience before. We know we're capable. We have the ability to go through this. Today, we're talking about how God can empower us. To empower is to give authority and power, to permit someone to do something, to enable someone to do something. God can and does empower us. And we're talking about the power of God being given to us to advance his kingdom on this earth and to help us live the life that Jesus intended for us. And the word that's used in the New Testament most often for God's power is dunamis. And that word literally is about a supernatural power, might, force, strength, capability that can only come from God. That's the kind of empowerment we're talking about today. Not the power that you get from doing a difficult thing. We're talking about a supernatural empowerment. And God empowers us by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's been around from the very beginning. And in the first sentences of the Bible, you see him 
on the scene. Genesis 1, verse 2. It says that the earth was formless and it was empty or void. It says that darkness was over the deep. And it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He was there at creation. But it's Jesus who, after all the commentary on the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament, where his activity is described in a lot of different ways, it's Jesus who, makes, who introduces us to the Holy Spirit in a very personal way. And, you know, the closer he got to the cross, the more he talked about the Holy Spirit. And especially in John chapters 14 through 16. And I'd like to read out of John 14, verses 15 through 18. It's there in your handout, but it's not going to come on the screen. Here's what he said. He said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor or helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be that is future tense, in you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the word in the New Testament used for Holy Spirit, this Greek word paraclete. Now it's translated in some translations as counselor, sometimes as comforter, sometimes as helper, sometimes as advocate. But all of these words have one central meaning, and that's that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of us to help. And this reminded me of a role that we have going on in our culture to help kids. It's called a CASA, C-A-S-A. And I have a sister and a niece who are both CASAs in their respective cities. Now, a CASA is a person assigned to a child who's entered the foster system or the court system for some reason. Usually not a good reason. Usually from some sort of difficulty that's happening in their life, not necessarily their own fault. And this cost, what their job is, is they connect with every person who's engaged in that child's life and making decisions or influencing that child in significant ways. So whether it's the mom or the dad or a step-parent or a guardian or a grandparent or whether it's their attorney, whether it's the foster family, they connect with all those individuals and their job is to ensure that everybody engaged in that child's life is making de- are making decisions and influencing in a way that has the best interests of that child at heart. Putting the needs of that child first. They're there to ensure that no child assigned to them falls through the cracks. And we have... A CASA, a Christ-appointed special advocate. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is nothing less than God himself making all of who he is, his presence, his wisdom, his power, his gifts, his abilities, available to us to empower us, to enable us, to give us greater capacity, to give us the ability to advance his kingdom on earth, to love people better in his name as we look forward to his return. So today we're going to take a look at three prepositions that the Bible uses to describe our encounters with the Holy Spirit and our experience with the person of the Holy Spirit. It's these three words, with, in, and upon. 
Now, about 15 years ago, Kim Lawless and I were doing a camp together, a kids' camp, uh, a couple weeks of them back in the southeastern portion of the United States. And I was teaching the kids on the Holy Spirit. And so to do this with and upon, I got a, a kiddie pool. And I filled it with water and I stood in it. Water is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And so the water was with me. It was surrounding me. I was right in the middle of it. And then I took a drink of a big tall glass of cold water. And the Holy Spirit was in me. And then I had somebody take a bucket of water and dump it right on top of me while I was talking to the kids. Symbolizing the Holy Spirit coming upon And then we just learned these little motions to kind of nail it in their head. Why? So they would not miss out on anything God had for them. It's with, in, and upon. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Aren't you glad I didn't bring my kiddie pool today and my bucket of water? So with. The Holy Spirit works with us even before we know who Jesus is. He works with us to convict us. Or convince us, whichever word you prefer, to convince us about our lives, that we're wrong, that there's a gap between who God is and how I'm behaving. It's called sin. He makes us aware of our sin. And this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen when the Holy Spirit was with us. In John 16, verse 8, he says this, When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict or convince the world. That's all-inclusive. Just like for God so loved the world, the Holy Spirit is with. Every person on planet Earth has an experience with the Holy Spirit across their life. Whether or not they're aware that it's Him at any given point is another matter. But He is with the world, convincing us of our guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And this is exactly what did happen when the Holy Spirit was sent on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 37. When Peter preached his first message about Jesus, about this man who had just been crucified in front of that crowd's very eyes, he got up and preached a message, and here's what happened. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's another way of saying they were convicted And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Have you ever been cut to the heart? Convicted about something you were doing? Conviction, convict. It means to understand that what you did, what you are doing, or what you're thinking of doing is wrong. From God's perspective, it's wrong. No doubt about it. Now, some of you may have heard the term, Don't try to play the Holy Spirit for somebody else. And you ever heard that term? Don't try to be the Holy Spirit for somebody else? Yeah. And we say that when we're talking about it's not your job to convince somebody that they've sinned against God. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And I have a funny story, but it's stuck with me ever since. It happened to Jared and I in college. We were both part of the college ministry team, and we'd meet there on U of O and do different kinds of ministry, Bible studies and, and witnessing, you know, just going out, sharing our faith um, pretty boldly there at the Urban Memorial Union and, and at uh, campus events. Well, we, we um, since we were leaders, I, you know, I had this certain standard in my mind. And my man... My husband, not my husband at the time, but Jared, um, was, wanted to smoke a pipe. 
You're going to think this is funny. Yeah, he's, he just thought it smelled good and thought it was kind of relaxing. And, I mean, and so he bought a pipe. And, and, and I was thinking that that wasn't good, that that was not a good thing to do. It wasn't a good uh, witness of Christ. And just, you know, I was a church lady. What can I say? Okay, and what did I do? I tried to be the Holy Spirit for him. I let him know what I thought about that behavior that I thought it wasn't as good. Well, that really got me nowhere. If you've ever tried that with somebody pointing out all their sins to them, that's yeah, not sure that was a sin now, but at the time it really struck me that way. And so I talked to the father at the house I was living at there my first year of school. And I told him about this and he said, uh, Ann, um, whose job is it to convict us of sin? And I said, well, the Holy spirit. And he says, well, maybe you could pray for him. And uh, pray that the Lord will show him what to do in regard to this habit. Not even pray for him to stop. Just, you know, pray for the Holy Spirit to work. And so that's what I did. And that's what happened. But that's that ministry of convincing us that what we're doing or what we have done or what we're thinking about doing is wrong. That it's wrong by God's standards and that we need help to fix it. So I don't know how many of you have done this, but you've taken a timeline of your life. You get a piece of paper, you draw a straight line across it. On one end is the day of your birth, and on the other end is the today's date. And then you take a bunch of sticky notes, and it's all the impacting events that you can remember in your life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And we all have all of those, don't we? And you, start, you just stick them on there in chronological order after you've brainstormed it. And then you start... Sometimes drawing lines off of them, but you write on there, you think about how you were influenced by those events. And I can guarantee that if you took the time to do this reflection exercise about your life, that you would spot the Holy Spirit's being with you to convince you, to convict you that you were wrong, that there was a gap between you and God and, and that the only way to meet it was through Jesus Christ. And I remember the first one for me. I have five childhood memories, five instances of attending churches. They were three different churches. Um, and I remember doing it a couple of times in my early years. And one of those was in second grade. And my mom had taken us kids there. And we were sitting in church, and they were having communion at this Christian church in Yakima. And as the communion came by, I was a second grader. I thought this looked like snack time. Woohoo! Let's all have some. And I had heard him talk, and they had prayed before they passed it about Jesus' blood and stuff. But, um, you know, that was, I was wondering what that was about. But I still thought of snack time a little bit more. So when that plate was passed, I was ready to take it. And my mom said, No, I want you to wait till you understand what you're doing. And that was all she told me. But in that moment, there became the first inkling that something needed to be attended to in my life if I were to have a relationship with God. It was just the beginnings of conviction for sin. And you know, what the Holy Spirit knew in that moment is that the next year we were going to move three times to three different states. And in the third one, in back here to Oregon from Modesto, California, that I was going to, our family was going to move into a house. My parents had been separated for six months. We moved into this house and down the street was going to be this little girl, Dolores, who was going to come down the street and invite me to church with her. And at church, I heard the gospel and they took communion. But when I heard the gospel, it's like a light came on. I know what that grape juice was about now. I know what that bread is about. 
And I was struck with my need for God. In order to be right with him, I was a sinful person. I was cut to the heart. Just like these people on the day of Pentecost when they heard that message. The Holy Spirit was with me before I even knew who Jesus was. Helping me to become convinced of my own need for God, my own sin, so that I could repent. Well, that brings us to the second preposition, which was in. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we accept When we believe and receive our Lord Jesus Christ, he lives in us to help us become like Jesus. It was the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is one of the biggest Jewish feasts. And so a lot of people were in Jerusalem for it because they would come into the city to celebrate it. It lasted eight days. And on the eighth and final day, Jesus stands up and says these amazing words to to the crowd. And it's very likely that he was standing uh, in front of what would have been huge containers that held water from the pool of Siloam. It might have even been in fountain form where it was splashing off. And he said these words in John 7, verses 38 and 39. Whoever believes in me, whoever, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, Jesus had been with his disciples for three years, but until his death and his resurrection, the Holy Spirit was not given to his, father, to his followers, even this team of apostles. And I want you to think with me about what they'd been doing. For three years, they'd been doing ministry with Jesus. Now, they'd seen him do a lot of things. He'd been teaching and all of that, but they had been casting out demons, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. They had been praying with people. They had been praying for people to be healed. They'd done all kinds of things at his direction and under his authority. But the Holy Spirit was still with them, but he wasn't within them. He wasn't in them yet because Jesus had not yet gone to the Father. We remember how that happened, and it's recorded for us in John 20, verses 21 and 22. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. They know that much. They're locked in a room, afraid for their lives because of the Jewish officials. If they'd killed Jesus, what would they do to us? And here's what Jesus does. He appears on the scene. And in verse 21 there, it says that he says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the 12, but wait. This promise was not just for the 12. This promise of receiving the Holy Spirit was for everyone who believed in him. Whosoever believed in him, streams of living water would flow from within. And that's why a short time later, the birth of the church, you can find it in Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, Peter stands and in response to the question of that crowd that had been cut to the quick, that had been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and asked the question, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said these words, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children 
and for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Basically, Peter was able to look ahead and even see us, even out into the future. It's for everyone whom the Lord our God will call. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we repent of our sins and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And he helps us to become like Jesus, to live the life that Jesus designed us to live. If you think about the fruit of the Spirit that we're told about in Galatians 5, when it talks about his love, his joy, his patience, his gentleness, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, and his self-control, that's nothing less than the life of Jesus Christ being brought to us by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. The character of Christ, his very life becomes something that's produced inside of us as we open up to the Holy Spirit. But you know what? The disciples had had the Holy Spirit with them. They'd received the Holy Spirit as Jesus prayed for them and as Peter at this time prayed for the church. But that wasn't the end of it. Jesus said, but wait, because there's more. And that's this third word, this third preposition, upon. The Holy Spirit comes upon us for empowerment. He gives us the power to continue Jesus' ministry here on earth through us, to love the people around us, our coworkers, our fellow students, our neighbors better. And he told his disciples they were to wait for him, for this power, in Jerusalem. So they were collected, about 120 of them, in this upper room, and they were praying together. And the day of Pentecost was approaching, a time where the city would have swelled in size to thousands of people from all sorts of regions of the world, speaking all different languages. But this encounter was so important that Jesus said, wait, don't do anything else. Don't go out and start preaching. Don't go out and start sharing what Jesus did in the last, what I did in the last three years. Instead, he said, wait, let's listen in on the speech he gave them. It's recorded in Acts, the first chapter, verses 4 and 5, and then verse 8. He says this, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what they did. They waited, just like Jesus asked them to. Even though the Holy Spirit was with them and he was in them, there was this other experience that God wanted them to have. And it's recorded for us what happened when they waited for this promised power. In Acts 2, verses 4 and 22, here's what it tells us. It says, all of them, all 120 of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. There's our word again, empowered them. We hear them, and and the crowd around them said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So they'd started speaking in languages that they didn't know, had never been trained in, And in this case, they were languages of the people that were all around them in these throngs who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And each of the people groups that were within earshot understood what they were saying in their own language and were exclaiming about it. They were just amazed. 
The church was launched with Jesus' disciples being baptized in the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit come upon them to continue his ministry. So what were some of the things that happened when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came upon them? What is it that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do? I'm going to give you this brief summary that's just in my own words, and then I'm going to just take a look at a few of the things. Remember, this is where you have to be big-hearted and know that it's not comprehensive. First of all, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do God's work and advance his kingdom on earth. That is to experience and share his gifts with other people, to tell his story in our lives with greater confidence, to understand what God's saying more clearly and in fresh and new ways, and to declare God's goodness and greatness with boldness and with clarity. Those are just a summary statement of some of the things that he does when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to go with a list through a list of you of things that you'll see in Scripture. It's certainly not comprehensive. That first one, the power to witness, that is to testify about who Jesus is in your life and to declare his word boldly. It says in Acts 4.31, the church was meeting and it says after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Did you know there's probably, this is the one that's uh, mentioned most often, associated with the Holy Spirit, is declaring the word boldly and with greater confidence. And it's a wonderful one. I know that after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and then living that life of being filled with the Holy Spirit, that was really the first time I got to see greater fruitfulness in my efforts at sharing God's Word. And I had a fresh confidence to go up to perfect strangers if God directed me to, as He did sometimes, go up to that classmate that was hurting and see if I could pray with them and then share my faith with them. Or sit down with a group of students at a conference and share with them what God had done in my life. Just being directed by Him. I drive down the road one day and God said, stop at that woman's house. Her name was Dixie and invite her to church and tell her what God's been doing in your life. That's what I did. Might sound crazy, but that's the kind of boldness that not my power, not my personality, the supernatural power of a God who can baptize us in the Holy Spirit gives us. Then that brings us to speaking in tongues. And I'm going to mention this for a few minutes, not because it's the most important, not because it is the evidence that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but because it's not talked about as frequently and because it's the most um, out-of-this-world one, I think, for a lot of people. It's also a very humbling expression of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that you don't know what you're saying and you have to trust God in doing it. Speaking in tongues. This happened over and over. And in this case, speaking in tongues, it's talked a lot about in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, and particularly chapters 14. It says that the one who speaks in a tongue speaks mysteries to God. We know that in this case at Pentecost, they were speaking about the wonders of God. We're told that sometimes you hear them praising God. And also that it's something that we can do in prayer that we can use it in a private expression where we pray in the spirit and then we pray in our native language. In this case, for me, that would be English. A wonderful thing. In fact, yesterday I got to practice this because I was with a friend who lost her son who was only 25 years old. 
And there's deep grief going on in her life. And, and just to be frank, I asked her for permission to pray for her, but I wasn't sure, having listened for quite a while as she shared with me, what I should specifically pray for in this situation. So I asked her for permission to pray in the Spirit over her. And many times when I do that, God shows me how to pray in English for a person. And so it's a wonderful gift in that way. So there's the public expression, which in the church, it's always supposed to have an, it's supposed to have an interpretation if it's done for the whole church and something to give them a word from the Lord so they can understand. But privately, it's something that we use all the time. Now, Paul says, I would that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesy. And we'll get to that in just a minute. So he wanted both. He wanted all of the above for him. But on this speaking in tongues, amazing opportunities. It increases your bandwidth of your communication with God. That's how I like to put it. So uh, my friend, our college pastor's wife, Jan, she was in Eugene, Oregon, walking down between two stores in the evening. And it's a narrow little aisleway between these two big retail merchants. And it, there was nobody else coming. And a man, apparently a new immigrant to the country because he wasn't speaking English, but he tried to steal her purse. And in, not in a mild way. And she immediately just began to speak in tongues to which he dropped to his knees on the spot and began to weep. A total reversal of the events and how they could have unfolded. Because remember, these gifts increase our bandwidth with God, and they increase our bandwidth to continue his ministry, to advance his kingdom, to love somebody better in Jesus' name. Was Jan able to better love this person? Yes, because of this. A wonderful experience and opportunity. Uh, one of our uh, attendees in last service, uh, Mike. Mike was sharing with me. He was on a mission trip in South America. And he had never spoken in tongues in his life. And uh, he was there and a woman asked him to pray for her. And as he was praying, he just started praying in tongues. And he, he, didn't, he hadn't really had any teaching on it, nothing. He just started praying in tongues. And she understood every word he said because he was talking in her language. He didn't even know it until she started talking. And his pastor, who had come with him, was standing back and watched the whole thing unfold. And he did know the language. And he couldn't believe what he was saying. God gave them bandwidth in his communication so he could advance his kingdom on earth. Let's talk about the next one, prophecy, dreams, and visions. I said that Paul said, I would that you would all speak in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Prophecy is just talking about what's coming, giving a word from the Lord about something that's coming in the future. And it always had these three results as Paul describes them. It strengthens, it encourages, and it comforts. It doesn't instill fear. It instills comfort and encouragement and strengthening. It's one of the tests of real, true prophecy. And so that's one of the things that can happen. In fact, part of Peter's sermon to this huge flock of people, this huge crowd on the day of Pentecost, was to remind them what the prophet Joel, hundreds of years before, had told was going to happen, had prophesied would happen. And it's this very experience that's happening for the church right there on the day of Pentecost and still happens today. Here's what he said. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people, not some. 
Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men are going to see visions and your old men are going to dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What's he saying? He's saying that these gifts are for all generations, not just the young or not just the old. Men and women, boys and girls, sons and daughters. And that it's also for both genders, men and women. The fullness of the Spirit is for everyone, all. And in the book of Acts, you can read, and a few weeks ago we talked about this, how there's, they had all of these encounters. Some of them had dreams, some of them had visions, some of them had words of prophecy were shared with the church. That all happened, and that's an opportunity for you. Your bandwidth, your ministry bandwidth, your ability to love other people can be expanded by receiving, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That brings us to equipping for leadership. The church was having a struggle. Some Greek widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. That seems very mundane, like let's just get a teenager to go do this. But I want you to see what a qualifier and equipper for leadership was. It said, pick seven men full of the Holy Spirit. They understood. We can't do this in our own strength. We need the power of God, empowerment. Equipping for leadership. And finally, giving thanks and praise to God. We know that they were speaking the wonders of God here in many other scriptures that we'll read or that are noted in your handout. A common theme to being filled with the Spirit was that people broke out in spontaneous praise and thanks to God all over the place. So how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's really simple. It's like almost everything else with God. Ask. And you'll receive. Ask. And that's what they did in Acts 8, 14 through 17. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, and this was really outside their paradigm, their way of thinking, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And that brings us to the second way. Hands can be laid on us by another believer. You know, somebody might not even pray for you. They might just say, I baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit. Or be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. Or they might just place your hands on them, and that's what happens. That's what happened in Ephesus. Paul comes upon these 12 guys who were disciples of Jesus. And he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And you know what they said? We haven't even heard of the guy. That's a little bit stretching, isn't it, to you? It is to me. It called them disciples. Those are God's words, not mine. Could that even work? Could you even be a disciple without the Holy Spirit yet? Well, apparently, God understood where they were at and made sure that Paul got to them. It says Paul placed his hands on them, and the Spirit came upon them, and they prophesied and spoke in tongues. So hands being laid on us by another believer. And then given by God while a message is being proclaimed. This happened on several occasions. But particularly, I wanted to read out of Acts 10. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, giving a message from God, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. you got to know, this was a mixed crowd. This was at Cornelius and his whole household were here, and these were not Jewish people, and this was a first. So the Jews that were with them were just astonished. You mean the Holy Spirit's really for everybody? 
And it says, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. There it is again. How did they know that they'd been filled with the Spirit? They, saw, they heard them themselves praising God and speaking in tongues. And that brings us to the fact that being filled with the Spirit is an all-the-time experience with a mo- that begins at a moment in time. There's always got to be a first, doesn't there? That invitation point. But it is just a first because Paul instructs the believers at Ephesus in Ephesians 5.18 and us. He says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says it this way. Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. But instead, be being filled, present tense continuous, with the Holy Spirit. Interesting dichotomy. You see, that's the furthest thing from being drunk with wine. You want the opposite experience. It's about being filled with the Spirit of God. And that brings us to my own experience. So I got saved in this amazing church. They loved me. They shared the gospel with me. Gave me foundations of my faith. Taught me how to give, how to love God with all I've got. But one thing, like all of us imperfect people that make up churches, one thing was a little bit off. It was this thing on the Holy Spirit. You see, they believed that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all of these things we're reading about, that those were for what they called the apostolic age. And the apostolic age encompassed all the time that the 12 apostles were alive. And when the last one died off, those gifts died off. Now, I'm not going to get into their theological explanation for this, but all this to say that none of this, they didn't teach on the Holy Spirit. What I learned was that the Holy Spirit came in and that was pretty much it it was like the blob inside of me i mean for lack of a better term that's what i knew but in my heart beginning in my high school years i was asking questions i want more of god jared shared last week about you can sit on the tailgate or you can get in the cab with jesus where do you want to be And I made a decision in high school, and I frustrated several youth pastors through this time because I kept asking them, I want more of God. How can I experience that? How I wanted his word to become more alive to me. I wanted to hear God, and that was pretty freaky to them. And so they really didn't know what to tell me. But I had a brother who was experiencing this, and and he let me know. Come to Eugene, and I was going, I was headed there for college. Come to my church, and you're going to hear about this. And And I'll talk with you more about it. And so when I got to college, one of the first early services that I went to, our pastor Roy said to the congregation, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he had told us about it like I am this morning, he said, right now, we're going to have the laying on of hands. It's called taking hands. That's hands touching hands. That's good enough for me. And he had us all take hands, and we sang a song. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me now. Fill me, Jesus, with your precious holy power. I'm yours, O Lord, to do with as you will. So fill me, Jesus, right now. And and that's what I sang. And that was my invitation. And I want you to know, no, I did not have a particularly dramatic experience. Some people do, you know. God comes in and meets each person where they're at. But I knew by faith that he had done that. Now, I wanted to speak in tongues, too, because I wanted to increase my bandwidth of communication in that way as well. But it took me another six months uh, because I thought, oh, I better read some books on this because I'd heard so much about why it wasn't for today. I had to get over that. You see, it's a humbling thing to start talking and believe that God is in that. It's as simple as this. 
Shode la coriande, la prende la que la traza, y shori a carabocentere, shende la coriasta, la prende la que la sata. It wasn't mystical. It wasn't somebody taking over my tongue. It wasn't particularly uh, self-promotional because you could look like a fool. (laughs) I knew that I was speaking mysteries to God and that I was building myself up in my most holy faith, as Jude put it. And so I began to practice that. But The way that came about is me getting under the covers. I tried that technique. I read about that in a book. And then another one, get off alone in the woods. I tried that technique. And, uh, you know, that didn't work. And you know how it happened? I was just praying one day. And the words started forming in my mind. And I began to speak it. It took courage and humility. We all get to humble ourselves. And that's what happened. And that was the beginning of the bigger deal about it. You see, it's not about those gifts. It's about the people I can love better. It's about the word of knowledge that came to me with a co-worker who didn't want to change roles, and I knew she needed to. And, the, and I felt like the Lord told me, she just is trying to relive the past. But don't say anything. I'll take care of it. So I didn't. And two weeks later, she came to my office, and she said, guess what? I'm trying to relive the past. I need to let go of this role. And she did. That's called a word of knowledge that helped me love her better. Because God made it clear not to tell her this, to just pray about it. It's being in your kid's office, the office at their school is everybody's registering their kids. And there's five people from five different states there registering their kids. And the Lord speaks to me and says, I want you to take that one out to coffee. And when you go and have coffee with that one, you understand what God meant. That they're waiting to hear about Jesus. They're waiting for somebody to love them in Jesus' name. And he gives you insight and wisdom on how to do that for each person. Increasing our bandwidth and our communication with God and advancing our ability to love people in Jesus' name in all kinds of ways. That's what it's really about. Now, you can do a study on your own about the New Testament and the Old Testament, and here's what you're going to find about the Holy Spirit. The focus is on the activity of the Holy Spirit, Old Testament and New Testament, not on the doctrine or technique. It's never about believing the Holy Spirit. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit. Because believing is all about Jesus. We believe in Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit. We ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and he does. Every person on planet earth is having encounters, experiencing the activity of the Holy Spirit. With, in, and upon, or all of the above. So what's your story today? Where are you at in in being empowered by God? What's your next best best step? We're going to sing a song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Flood our hearts, fill the atmosphere. It's a song of invitation, really, to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite you to sing that through once and just to consider, what is God saying to me this morning about my relationship with the Holy Spirit? Has he been speaking to you about sin in your life? 
about something that you're thinking about doing or have done that's wrong and you need God's forgiveness? Is he inviting you to receive Jesus this morning and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Is this your day to get right with God as I did years ago? Or is today the day that you're going to either, for the first time, you're going to start that journey of being having the Holy Spirit come upon you with power or you're going to be freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's sing this and consider what he's talking to us about.